Are you ready, Ma? I'm ready, Erin. Let's go. Let's go to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Philly! Your old stomping ground. I know. I was like, that. I've seen that. I've seen that. I've seen that. I do remember being there and there being a lot of people being like, have you seen Trading Places? And for the listeners, I will at some point say Trading Spaces. Yeah. It's just going to happen. It's going to happen. I don't even watch the show. It's just in my mind. That's. And truth be told, even when you say Trading Places, some listeners are going to hear Trading Spaces. And vice okay. versa. It's It's the same thing. It's all good. In the Philly hood. In the Philly hood. One hour, 56 minutes of Take It Away. The particulars? Yeah. Oh. All right. 1983. Directed by John Landis. You may know him from his other films, such as National Lampoon's Animal House, Into the Night, The Blues Brothers, Three Amigos, Coming to America, Beverly Hills Cop 3, and a little music video you might have heard of called Thriller. This guy had an 80s. He had, yeah, he was doing well in the 80s. He did very well in the 80s. Produced by Aaron Russo, who also produced Wise Guys and The Rose. Written by Timothy Harris and Herschel Weingrod. These guys also wrote Brewster's Millions, Twins, My Stepmother's an Alien, Kindergarten Cop, and Space Jam. Okay. Music by our main man, Elmer Bernstein. <sighs> Showing up again. Remember <sighs> To Kill a Mockingbird, Sweet Smell of Success, Ghostbusters, and so much more. This guy always uh -huh. pops up. The director of uh, photography, Robert Payenter, P-A-Y-N-T-E-R. So I apologize. He also shot Little Shop of Horrors, Spies Like Us, The Big Sleep, and the music video Thriller. I was trying to, to remember how it went to, you know, like do it, and I couldn't remember. But then I just did, but it wouldn't sound like it. So. <laughs> It'd be like, do, 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 do. Well, and that's bad. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, hilarious. I am funny. Starring Dan Aykroyd. He's OG, original cast member of Saturday Night Live. Also, Blues Brothers, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Nothing But Trouble, and he was in Driving Miss Daisy. And apparently, yeah, he, he would show up in odd parts. Yeah, he got nominated for an Oscar for that. Just, I was like, because he was really? the son or something. Oh, I don't know. I think he was Miss Daisy's son. I know Miss Daisy, and I know Morgan Freeman. That's it. The Driver and Miss Daisy. Um, Eddie Murphy. This is his second film. He was on Saturday Night Live from 1980 to 1984. 
His first film was 48 Hours, and he was also in the Beverly Hills Cop series, Coming to America, Boomerang, The Nutty Professor, Bowfinger, Dreamgirls, Norbit, just to name a few. I mean, he's Eddie fucking Murphy. He's pretty funny. So funny. We have Ralph Bellamy. Yes, we did. He was in His Girl Friday. He was in a movie called The Secret Six that was with Gene Harlow. This guy was in a movie with Gene Harlow. We might have to do that movie. The Awful Truth. He was also in Rosemary's Baby. We just did Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, who was he in Rosemary's Baby? I think he was the doctor. Oh, okay. And we have Don Amici. Yeah. He was in Alexander's Ragtime Band, which will sound familiar from last week because Irving Berlin did the music. I'm guessing because he wrote Alexander's Ragtime Band, the musical composition. Um, he was also in Three Musketeers. He was in Cocoon, Karina, Karina. But my understanding is this film re-energized his, his career because he was pretty much... A, a a goner, yeah. He energized him, and then he did Cocoon after this. He hadn't been working in fourteen years. Yeah. There's a story where John Landis is like, um, "Can you give me Don Amici?" And the secretary says, "I think he's dead." And mm-hmm. Landis says, "I think I would know if Don Amici was dead." So they contacted the Screen Actors Guild to see where his residuals were going, and they were going to his son and. Arizona somewhere. Oh, wow. And Landis said, oh, that's not a good sign. And then another secretary chimed in and said, are you talking about Don and Amici? And he was like, yeah. He's like, I see him every day walking on San Vicente with his dog. And so they, uh, he, Landis called up the operator, you know, at the time and said, is there a D Amici in, on San Vicente? And so he called him up and he goes, Don Amici? He says, yes. Um, would you like to be in my movie? And so he's like, can you come over? Do you need a car sent to us? And he's like, no, no, I'll drive over. So he drove over. He was like, prepare to read for it. And Landis said, oh, no, you, you have the part. You don't need to read for it. And so then they're shooting and he's having a great time. And he says, Don, why haven't you made a movie in 14 years? And Don says, because nobody called. And then after this... My eyes are sweating right now. Huh? My eyes are sweating right now. Oh. And then he, uh, yeah. And then his, it was a resurgence. Then he got um, Cocoon and he won an Oscar for it. And he was just in so many movies after that for the next 10 years. Oh. Yeah. What is this nobody called? I bet he had to get a dog walker. Yeah, or maybe he, like, told his son, you're getting all my residuals. Why don't you get out here and walk this dog? <laughs> fair, fair enough. Yeah. Um, also, Denholm <laughs> Elliott, he was in Alfie, A Bridge Too Far, The Boys from Brazil, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. She, up until this point, she had only been in, ha- well, she had been in Halloween, but she had only been in horror movies. Yeah. So she was just considered a scream queen and like a B-list. And 
the studio was like, why are you hiring her? But she had been, John Landis did a short, um, a short documentary on horror films and she did the narration and he met her and he was like, oh, she's really smart and she's really funny. And she looks like that. Like her body. Oh yeah. my God. So he's like, cause she's, he's reading the part and she plays Ophelia who's the hooker with the heart of gold. And he's reading this. And he's like, what the hell? This, this woman doesn't exist. How the hell are we ever going to cast it to make it be believable? And so the answer is you cast Jamie Lee Curtis. Cause yeah. she, she went on to be in a fish called Wanda, my girl, true lies, freaky Friday. I mean, great. And characters. recently in, Scream, Scream Queens, Queens. <laughs> <laughs> which I think is hysterical. Uh-huh. And then this other guy, because I see him all the time, and I'm like, that guy, why do I know that guy? Paul Gleason. He was in The Breakfast Club. And then he was also in Die Hard. But then reading about on his Wikipedia page, this no wonder this, I, this guy like haunts my dreams. He was in everything in the 80s. He was oh, in really? the A-team. He was in Dallas. He was in 21 Drum- Jump Street. He was in L.A. Law. Like, I'm serious. If you go to this guy's Wikipedia page, there isn't anything that was on TV in the 80s that this guy wasn't in. It was incredible. What, what part did he have? Well, he would just, like, show up. Like, like some of them, um, he was a cast member. I think he might have been in Hill Street Blues as a cast member. Other times he would just be in, like, an episode. As yeah, something. but I mean, what was he in Trading Places? Oh, he was um the the guy that that they he was like the main bad guy, the henchman. Oh yes, was, yes, yes, I yes. I forgot yes. was like Clarence yeah, or something. Everything, yes. yeah. And so I'm just like this guy. I'm sure he was in Mannix. Yeah, so. I'm telling you, I was just like this. No wonder he was in everything. That's funny. So Excellent. those are the particulars. Okay, well, we do start out in Philadelphia. Yes. We see the bus station. We're in Little Italy, as I recall. We're everywhere. Yes. Now, what is the, is the like, um, because, okay, trading places, <laughs> not spaces. You worked hard on that, people. I did. Or shall I say person? <laughs> Wendy, thank you. Hello. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it was based on Mark Twain's The Prince and the Pauper and some other thing, some like million dollar note or something. Right. And yeah. there's also a bit of The Marriage of Figaro. And that was the overture that's playing in the beginning when we. I just knew it was quite highbrow. Yes. It comes from The Marriage of Figaro. And I guess The Marriage of Figaro is about. Like a poor dude who thwarts a plan for some rich dude to like marry his bride to be. So I guess it has to do with classism as well. Yeah. And so yeah. it's like, ah. Because we're seeing, it's, you're seeing the, the working class people, and then you're seeing this dude, Winthrop. And it's all juxtaposed that you'll see a homeless guy, and then cut to Winthrop, and he's in his. Um, he's being woken up with breakfast being brought to him from his butler. His butler. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, this is my question. Um, 
Grace Kelly for real grew up in Philadelphia. Am I right? Yes. So she would be the Winthrop side because she she came from a high class, high society, I believe. Yeah, she wasn't down in Philadelphia. She didn't have to lose a weird accent when she got to Hollywood. Right. Right. Okay. Okay, so it was fun to see all of um, Philadelphia, the parts that we've seen. Yes. When we would visit Aaron at Drexel University. Yes, yes. Yeah, a little little tidbit of trivia. Yeah. The person who invented the barcode. Yes. Yes, Drexel yes. It, it is Ivy League adjacent, people. Ivy League yes, adjacent. Yes. Yes, I kept telling her, fall off your bicycle in front of Penn and meet somebody, but that never happened. Yes, yes. Okay, um, yes, Dan Aykroyd is Lewis Winthrop. The third. And he plays such a good stick-up-your-ass dude. Oh, man, such oh, a schmuck. Oh, my God, his nose could not go higher in the air. Mm. I've been accused of having my nose in the air, but it's 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 not true. You oh, it's not true. It's not true. You you are not a snob. Is this what you are saying on this podcast? Are you putting I'm that saying, on wax? I'm saying it because nobody else will. <laughs> I am not a snob. What is that clinking in that glass you have? <laughs> the only gin you will drink? I believe it's Gilby's today. Yeah, it's Gilby's in here, people. Oh, right. Everyone, oh. the one, Wendy's not believing it. <laughs> oh, Wendy's the reason I got Grand Dame. Okay, well, yes, we're contrasting the haves and the have-nots mm -hmm. in the running of the credits. Mm -hmm. And the butler is delivering breakfast. And and the butler is shaving him as the marriage of Figaro is playing. Mm -hmm. I just had class night. I'm so sick of that. And he's reading the paper and he's talking about the pork belly market. Um, and there's a picture of a beautiful woman, Penelope, um, close by all the time. Withers Penelope Witherspoon. Witherspoon. There's a joke about <laughs> <laughs> Witherspoon. Um, then we see uh, the butler is also Dan Aykroyd's driver, so he's his man Friday or whatever you call that. Yeah, he Dan Aykroyd has such a stick up his ass that he comes downstairs in Philadelphia, which that's I'm I'm sure I walked down that street. I'm like that looks so familiar. His I think you walked down home. every street. I in pretty much did, and then he, instead of like you know opening the car door and stuff, he just stands there and waits for the the butler to lock the home, walk down the stairs, and open the door for him to get in. Just like man, this guy. Then he arrives at Duke and Duke, which um, looks like. Looks like the executive place of a bank, but actually it's a commodities dealing place. Yes. And as he's walking through, everyone is saying, good morning, Mr. Winthrop. And he's just, his nose is so up in the air. He's just like, he doesn't even acknowledge he's them. He's like, morning, yes, morning, morning. morning I wrote Mr. down Winthrop. pompous ass. 
Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a rich guy. Okay, um, and uh, he gets to his office. Then we have a shot of a huge estate and two old men, the two Misters Duke. And they are um, coming and they are getting in their car. They have a person of color driver. There were several. I didn't count. Yeah, this isn't a, I mean, the movie starring Eddie Murphy, this isn't, the POC is out of the window. Thank goodness. I mean, goodness. just through the credits, you, you couldn't even count. You know, those POCs. <laughs> okay. You throw a rock. <laughs> So they are discussing the pork bellies and if it's time to sell. And Ralph Bellamy saying, no, Winthrop said to wait until they hit 76. And um, I don't understand commodities dealing. And this tried to explain it. Well, I spent my morning figuring this out. And I did with the help of a lot of articles and national public radio. That's my, that's what you get here. You, Wendy, you're our listener. Yeah. You get to have true um, research done. This time, people, I woke up early. I woke up early and I got some research done. I will explain what happened at the end of this film because I didn't understand it. I know. When I, I watched it. A lot of people yell. Okay. Anyway, so. There is a person of color driver. Duke and Duke arrive at Duke and Duke Commodities. Yeah. And Eddie Murphy is on this rolly cart on his knees uh, begging for money. And he's saying he was a Vietnam vet and he lost his legs and he just has stumps. And I'm sure that half of what he does is, um, what's it called when you make it up on the fly? Improvisation. Improv. I'm sure that he did a lot of improv. He's Eddie Murphy. Um, what? I said he's Eddie Murphy. Yeah, yeah. So, um, then somebody says we're about to make millions in the frozen orange juice market. I don't think frozen orange juice is a thing anymore, even. No, it. it I think it still is a thing. Okay. Okay, so um, they get out of the car, and Ezra, I believe, was the driver. No, Ezra is in the club. Ezra is a person of color who, who helps them all the time. And Duke and Duke give him the, his Christmas bonus. Oh, yeah. yeah. $5. It's, yeah, $5, and Ezra gets it, and he's like, ooh, maybe I can go to the movies. By myself. Yeah, he says by myself. By the way, half of that's from me. Yeah. So I'm already liking this movie more than last week's movie because the guy who is the help um had some had some sass. Actually had the nerve to say something. Yeah, and wasn't so pleased to be waiting on these people. Was like, this is my job. It sucks. This guy just paid me for my bonus a whole five dollars. Yay. Well, Dan Aykroyd, Lewis, arrives at club at the club, and I call the club snob. Oh, snob. the club. Wait, wait, wait. The club is called the Heritage Club, and there's a sign that says Heritage Club 1776 with liberty and justice for all. 
period members only which <laughs> is that not america am i right <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of little things in here that are that are quite funny uh-huh okay so duke and duke are signing the the payroll checks that um dan Aykroyd has brought in and there is a fifty thousand check to a clearance beaks and um ralph bellamy doesn't understand and Don Amici's going shh, 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 shh. yeah it's right it's right shh, shh, shh. yeah because so Ackroyd, Ackroyd's like yo what is this because he he actually was doing his job and he's like this I can't find this guy on the payroll you're paying him 50 grand like is that like what's up some sort of fraud and obviously there's something that these two that one of these guys is up to because he's like oh sh- and shush shushing it and then they also um they get mad at because he has to pay the payroll. And so these are all the, the working class. These are you and me. This is us. He's signing our paychecks. And he's like, man, why is this so much? And what is it? Ackroyd? That's like, it's called minimum wage, sir. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know, he's already paying a pittance compared to what he has. We saw the house that he lived in. His Rolls Royce being driven. These two brothers, they have so much money, and yet they ha- when they have to sign the payroll checks, which probably doesn't even amount to a fraction of what they have in the bank, they're like, oh, man, this is too much. We are, f- we are spending too much money on these employees. It wasn't the 80s trickle-down economics? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, that, that's what we're doing again. Didn't really trickle down there. It never does trickle down. It's just a good term to to keep the the low life, you know, happy. Yeah, and to make it the aspirational, like one day you this could be you. And yeah. like, well, um, then they dismiss Winthrop. Yeah. So it's obvious. Well, Winthrop isn't isn't that upper class. Oh, as much money as Winthrop has, because we saw that. He is nowhere near the stratosphere of these two guys. Don't get it. Don't get it twisted. He's working for them. Mm-hmm. Well, then um, they have a discussion of breeding versus genes. Yes, the nature versus nurture. And so um, Eddie Murphy is outside begging, and uh, there are police there, and Eddie Murphy's pretending to be blind. And they lift him up, and well, so no, eventually... wait, because you know he says that he's from Vietnam. So these two cops, they're like, "Oh, you were in Nam. Um, where were you?" Because they were, and he, you know, he's he's got to play it. So he was like, "I was in the Special Forces Infantry Battalion, First Command." You know, just spouting off every single military term he's ever heard in his life, and that's when the cops are like, "This guy's full of bullshit." So they lift him up and they kick out his his wheels from underneath him and he puts his legs down and he looks around and he's like, oh my God, you two have healed me. He has been healed. So, so he's going, I can see I have legs. Praise Jesus. It's funny. It's Eddie Murphy. So at this point, he turns around and he's running away from the police. He runs straight into Dan Aykroyd. Yes. And Dan Aykroyd drops his briefcase. So Eddie Murphy picks it up to give it to him. But but Dan Aykroyd is sure he's stealing it from him. Why? 
because he's black. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, Dan Aykroyd starts yelling. The police start running. He runs into the club. It uh, there a, a chase ensues. It ends up with six guns in Eddie Murphy's face. However, it's eighty three. They didn't shoot him. Well, and we can't really say that it's eighty three. They didn't shoot him because eighty three. They would have shot him. It's Hollywood. They didn't shoot him. Okay. Well, Eddie Murphy keeps saying he's innocent, and Dan Aykroyd with his stick up his ass is saying press full charges. Yeah. This. Yeah. Um, and so the, the the Duke and Dukes are saying, well, I'm sure he has a history of drug abuse. He comes from a broken home. He's a product of a poor environment. Of uh, And Don Amici goes, of course, there's something wrong with him. He's a Negro. Mm-hmm. So um, Ralph Bellamy is saying, given the right surroundings and environment, he could run our company as well as Winthrop does. Uh, if Winthrop lost his home and his job, he'd take to crime like a fish out of water. So they make a bet. For the usual amount. The usual amount, which we don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. Well, so here ensues the trading places. Dan Aykroyd is at dinner with Penelope at his house. Um, the butler's on the phone, and he's hearing that D&D, Duke and Duke, are going to do a scientific experiment, and he needs to be on board. So this is when we find out that the house Dan Aykroyd lives in, all the things there, as well as the butler, belong to Duke and Duke. He gets them because he works for Duke and Duke. Oh, it's kind of like one of his benefits. He gets housing. It's like company Correct. housing. And uh, Yeah, at all. Wow. So um, the butler goes, okay, I'm going to make the necessary arrangements. Well, he's at at dinner, as I said, with Penelope Witherspoon. (laughs) And she is saying, he's talking about how he was held up and how he was such a hero. And and so she is saying, well, uh, you know, I want you now. I want you now. So they are in the process of undressing Mm -hmm. when the butler comes in and says um, now the butler, when, when Ralph Bellamy is talking about the scientific experiment, he has a a look on his face. Like he just smelled some nasty fish. Yeah. This isn't um, because the butler, he's a white guy. He's what's his name? Denholm. Clarence. Clarence? Not Clarence Darrow. Clarence. His name is Clarence. Yeah, but his real no, name, the his actor. name is Coleman. His name is Coleman. Yeah. Denholm Elliott. That's the actor. Oh, and okay. He, yeah, so he, this guy, he's not happy to be a butler waiting on this guy either. You know? This is his job. He's, he's working class. Yeah, he's not like, ooh, yes, this is awesome. This is my calling. Because, um... He was out there while they were while he, while uh, what's his name Lewis was telling Penelope about how much of a badass he is. He's not. He was uh, Coleman standing there. Ma- he's like making some sort of fancy French dessert, like table side, like some sort it of crepe. It was actually crepes. Yeah, crepes. I'll think of it before the end of the podcast. Because there, there was fire involved. Because yeah, and... you have to put the brandy in and then like that. 
crepes, not crepes imperial, crepes. Suzette. Yeah. And so then he gets, he's spending all this time to prepare this thing, listen to this guy talk about a dumbass. Like these two people are the most just vapid individuals, no sort of, just boring. And he's standing there bored out of his mind, making this awesome dessert. And then the guy's like, no, me and the lady, we're going to leave now. And they're like, but what about dessert? And Lewis is like, oh, you can eat it. And that's when you just see Coleman walk into the kitchen and just open the trash can and throw it away. Next scene, we're in jail. Eddie Murphy is pretending that he was a badass as well. He was stealing the payroll. And he beat the shit out of 10 cops. And he's saying he's a karate man. His name is Billy Ray Valentine. And um, then two big dudes come over, and they're like, you know, they know he's talking shit. So Oh, wait, so they have yeah. a great line. He says, it ain't cool being no jive turkey this close to Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> and that made me laugh. And they lifted him up, you know, like they were going to beat him against the bars. And just then, the um, officer comes and says he's made bail. Now, Ma, did you notice someone else in that scene? Yes, 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 it was Gus from Breaking Bad. Gus Fring was also in prison with Eddie Murphy? Yes. Yeah, a young Giancarlo Esposito. I just now pulled Gus out of my ass because I couldn't think of the name yesterday. Yes, love that dude. Mm -hmm. Okay, so he walks out of the police station and... Are you going to say my favorite? Like this, I laughed the hardest at this. No, I'm not. So go ahead. When he walks out of the police station, there's, as he's walking down the steps, there's two cops and an unruly guy that they've arrested. And I'm not sure, but based on the hand, I think it's a white dude. And so the, the two cops have this, I'm going to say that it was a white guy. And Eddie Murphy's walking down. The guy's being unruly because he doesn't want to go to jail. And Eddie Murphy says, may I suggest using your nightstick, officer? (laughs) And I laughed so hard at that. Because he, like, Eddie Murphy straightens up his clothes and stuff. And the officers are basically like, get the fuck out of here. But, he, you know, he just had to say, because he's like, if that was me, that nightstick would be out. Exactly. (laughs) So he's like. May I suggest you use that? You you do know you have it. <laughs> well, uh, a Rolls Royce pulls up, or a Bentley. Uh, it might have been a Bentley. That's too it, rich for us. And, yeah, I don't know the diff. And, see, I'm not that big of a snob. And um, the the window comes down, and and Ralph and Dom Amici invite uh, Eddie Murphy Valentine to step inside. And he's, he doesn't, you know, he's like skeptical. And they go, we have all the whiskey you want. Because, of course, he's a Negro. Yes. And all that a Negro would want is all the whiskey he could want. <laughs> and darn if he doesn't step inside. <laughs> I'm like, there's no way. That, that, I don't think that that, like, you know, 
there's the movie land in real life. And I'm like, I don't think in real life that this dude would get in the car with them. Oh, actually, it wasn't the whiskey that got him in the car. It was when he told them that, that he's the one that bailed him out. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because okay. he wasn't like, oh, yeah, I'm in for the whiskey. He was like, no, I don't care about your whiskey. What do you two want? And then he's like, we're the ones that bailed you out. So he's like, oh, hmm. well, let me hear what you have to say. Right. So he gets in the car and they hand him cigars, you know, to take one. And he, of course, takes a handful and starts stuffing them in his pockets. And they go, uh, we are conducting a scientific experiment to rehabilitate culturally disadvantaged people. And we're going to give you a home and a car and $80,000 a year and a chauffeur. And Eddie Murphy goes, oh, this is like a practical joke, right? Because it's really rude. And um, Randolph Mortimer, I have written over here on the side. Why do I have Randolph Mortimer? That's probably when you real when you heard his name, until so you were like, "Oh, Randolph Mortimer." Randolph and Mortimer, they're the guys. I think they're the oh, brothers. Oh, those are the first names: Randolph Duke Mortimer Dirk. I speak ma. Thank I'm, you. I'm learning to speak ma notes. Thank you, because ma has almost finished her drink. Okay, so they are saying they've had the the charges dropped. Yes. Okay. So I also wrote down, I'll hang. Speak mom. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know what, what mom was thinking there. Mom whisper. Huh. Okay. So I think Eddie Murphy's going, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I'll hang because they're going to say that I stole all this from you guys. Okay. So they take. Eddie Murphy to Dan Aykroyd's house. Well, also, Eddie Murphy goes up to the chauffeur, who's a black guy, and he goes, um, is this for real? And yeah. the, the driver's like, yeah. And he's like, oh, well, what's my next move? <laughs> and the, the driver's like, I don't know. I don't care. I can't help you, man. I don't know you. Yeah. And Eddie Murphy's like, yeah, thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks. He's like, yeah. I, like, what can I tell? I don't know. These dudes is wild, though. Thanks for doing me a solid. <laughs> so this is when we, when I found out that Dan Aykroyd's house actually belonged to Duke and Duke. Ah. I'm going to call them double D's from now on. <laughs> oh, great. The double D's. Okay. Uh, so they introduce him to Coleman. He's your servant. It's like. Eddie Murphy has a servant. Mm -hmm. And he's and, a uh, white man. And then uh, Coleman is showing him around and he's showing them the bathtub. And uh, Eddie Murphy's in the bathtub and Coleman turns on the bubbles and Eddie Murphy's like, man, when I was little, the only way to get bubbles was to fart in the tub. <laughs> um, okay, so then... Oh, well... I don't think you can interpret this one, Ooh. but um, give the 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 double D's have told Coleman to give him clean clothes and to get his old clothes cleaned because he's gonna need them when they throw him back out in the street. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they're saying this this is your place now, you know, and and Eddie Murphy's walking around pocketing everything, and they're going, no, you don't have to steal it; you're stealing from yourself. If you steal it, this is all yours. 
when in truth th- that is not true because mm-hmm. it all belongs to double d yeah and when he gets kicked out in the street he doesn't have this stuff he should have continued to pocket it mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's the lesson that ma is telling you when you're around anyone rich pocket everything pocket that you can get you your can. hands on <laughs> Start stealing immediately. (laughs) That's right. Well, so Eddie Murphy picks up this vase that is supposed to be all that. And he goes, so I can just, I could just like break this vase. And he throws it on the floor and it's like, ah, ha, ha, ha. And Mortimer goes, it's okay. It's okay. Because uh, it's worth 30,000, but we put insurance in for 50,000. We've already made $20,000. Yes. Yeah, well, he, they say Eddie uh, Valentine's already made them 20000 Like, they've already made a profit from this guy. Well, back at the Heritage Club, Dan Aykroyd is walking outside. And, um, again, I have the important scientific experiment and dude put something oh dude put something in danny Aykroyd's uh pocket mm-hmm. and he doesn't even realize it it's mr beats who puts something in his pocket and then they are at a um like a a big meeting i almost said clan meeting well but- it did look it was all dudes all white dudes yeah and all like old and they're in this semicircle, and so it's like a um, a club meeting. Yeah, and, it's the Heritage Club meeting and stuff. Yeah, and so um, uh, a head dude gets up and says, we have had a problem. There has been a theft among us here in this hallowed halls. So everybody... Put your left hand on the person next to you and put your right hand in their pocket, empty their contents, put it on the table, blah, 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 blah. Turns out that Danny Aykroyd had three um, $100 bills that were marked with a red X that were stolen from the coat room. Mm -hmm. So he's a thief. He's been framed for thievery. And the police come and take him out. And he's uh, uh, totally innocent. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know anything about this. And do they know who they're arresting? And Get your hands off me. So they take him to the police station. They strip search him. Um, and there's a cellophane bag that had PCP in it. <laughs> I like that they planted PCP. Is that also angel dust? I don't really know my narcotics. Now, I just want to share that in the 80s, I had become a mother. And so I don't know either. (laughs) It's about to say, (laughs) it was the 80s and... (laughs) I became an upholding citizen of the country. (laughs) You became a square. An L seven, as L7. has often been said of me. So that was PCP came into existence after my fun time was over. <laughs> I think it's. I think that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> the 
from just from from where I've heard, like PCP, it, like it, you that usually doesn't end well. Uh, so PCP is different from crack. I, I don't know. See, I don't know. know. All of that. I just know it's like, no, no, like bad drugs. Yeah. <laughs> don't, yeah. Like there's, yeah, there aren't any like, uh, scientific, new scientific study shows that medicinal PCP is. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm not reading any of those. There's no, and psychedelics have gone out the window in favor of this stuff that rots your teeth. So. Yeah, uh, is it like it's? I guess it's like all lumped in there with the meth category. Meth and back to Breaking Bad. Yes, it all ties in. It does indeed, and thank God our listeners were past that as well. We hope, but no judgments. No judgments. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> um, they're saying you know because you have PCP. You could, that's three to five years right there. Oh, so. you know what? I bet the reason that they put, they gave him PC, because he wouldn't have PCP. He's like, if he was going to have drugs on him, he would have cocaine. cocaine. It's the 80s. Yeah. Big in the 80s. But I think they gave him PCP because um, poor people and people of color, that's probably a drug that they would have. And so right. therefore the sentencing was tougher. I think PCP was smokable cocaine. I don't know. But okay, that yeah, was crack. exactly, exactly. Yeah. That anyway, it, he okay. get, he gets caught with a drug that he's gonna get a higher um, sentence to because of the because people. It's the drug that people yeah. of color would use. Mm -hmm. uh, at this point, we're gonna do an advertisement for Watch the Thirteenth. Oh. So yes okay if you haven't watched it you need to if you think you're woke you ain't okay <laughs> so um eddie murphy is now dressed up fancy he goes to his old neighborhood bar and he pays off his debt which was 27 dollars, which was like a huge debt back when he had nothing mm-hmm and he orders champagne for all. And I'm pretty sure that their top shelf would be Tattinger. <laughs> I like that you even know the the shelves of the, champagne. I know the cheap name. Well, so is that like a Corbel or is Corbel even cheaper? Andre is cheaper than Tattinger. That didn't tell me about Corbell. Corbell, I think is I think it would be Andre and then Corbell and then Tattinger. Oh, so, so Tattinger is like below, like below Corbell. No, I'm going from bottom to top. Oh, That's how snobs do it. They start <laughs> at the basement and go up. <laughs> I see. Okay, so anyway. The two big dudes from the jail come over. And and Eddie Murphy's going, seriously, I really, my limo was outside because they knew that he was talking much shit in the mm -hmm. jail. And then he goes, there's a party at my house. Everybody come over to my house. Well, all of a sudden when it's his house and it's getting torn up, he's getting upset about it. He's Take going, care of my stuff here. He's like, 
he goes around. He's like, haven't anybody ever heard of a coaster before? And <laughs> people like trash everywhere. And he's just getting mad. And also, like, of course, it's the 80s. So, like, women's tops just come off. Uh, of course. <laughs> it's just like, oh. Lots of boobage. <laughs> okay. That's Lots how they, that's how you dance. Was that oh, you wouldn't know you were done by the 80s. I was, but in the 70s it was called a tube top, which if you jumped it off, it it fell down. Ah. So I'm just saying. <laughs> um and then he goes up to his bedroom and I swear to god that was Alyssa Milano. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at the uh, the credits and and she wasn't given a credit for that, so I guess it wasn't. But man, she looked like Alyssa. I even rewound. Ma, you do remember who's the boss, right? That was the eighties. That right? was the eighties, and she was, it was a kid. Alyssa Milano's bigger sister. It was. I'm gonna go with that. She looked so much like Alyssa Milano. Okay. Okay. I, I didn't notice. So he's trying to take care of his house and uh, Coleman, the butler is kind of having a good time for the first time. Yeah. Cause Coleman, the butler likes to drink. He's, he's enjoying his finally Eddie has to just tell everybody to get the fuck out. Yeah. I mean, somebody put out a cigarette on the, on the, um, the rug wait, Persian rug, Persian rug, not an Afghan. <laughs> Persian rug. Okay, yeah. snob. <laughs> <laughs> Would you? And so um, everybody leaves, and Coleman says, I believe you need to retire, Mr. Eddie Murphy, and I'll straighten up. And you can tell by his face that Coleman is taking a liking to Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, Winthrop is in jail. He has a black eye and a busted lip. <laughs> His hair's all messed up. And he's he's being released from jail. And he's walking out. And this dude, Beeks, sees Jamie Lee Curtis in this red wig and what is obviously a hooker outfit. Oh, I'm sorry. I totally apologize. A sex worker outfit. <laughs> yes. Because I am woke. And he says to her, you want to make a fast $100. So Dan Aykroyd comes out down the steps of the police station. Penelope is waiting for him. And he's going, Penelope, you have to believe me. I'm innocent. (laughs) Oh, my God, your clothes smell, etc. And you were accused of stealing from your friends at the club. And you've been fired. And you've been charged with embezzlement and you've been charged with heroin possession. So is PCP heroin? We're so bad at this. This is where we should have spent our research time. I was researching stocks, commodities, and futures this morning. And I was at an elder hostel. Okay, so um, Penelope is saying, Mummy wants to call off the wedding. At this point, Jamie Lee Curtis comes up and kisses Dan Aykroyd on the mouth, full-on kiss, and says she she needs a dime bag. (laughs) (laughs) And Penelope goes, I never want to see you as long as I live. (laughs) Yes, you're 
really good at talking uh, rich. <laughs> talking snob. I can talk snob. You can speak snob. Okay, so Dan Aykroyd's going, someone told you to do this for me. Someone told you to do this to me. What's going on? And Jamie Lee Curtis gets in her cab and he pulls out all his credit cards and says, look, I can, I can, I can help. I can help you. Just tell me what's going on here. And um, he goes, come to my house. I'll show you. I have money. And so they go to his house where the locks have been changed. And Coleman answers the door and goes, I don't know who you are. He's like, Coleman. Like, just the way that Dan Aykroyd says, when Coleman opens the door, the way Dan Aykroyd says it, he's like, he's so happy. But he's also, like, just whining. Like, Coleman. Oh, Coleman. Let me in. I've had the worst day. And, and he goes, there's no Coleman here. You've made a mistake. <laughs> and he so, loves it, too. Coleman is loving this. Because he didn't have any respect for Dan. None. Who could? So then, uh, and Jamie Lee Curtis is like, yeah, I knew this all along. Mm-hmm. Well, then he goes into the bank to withdraw $1,000. Well, $500. And he goes, no, no, make it 1000 and that's when he finds out that um, his account has been sealed and the police arrive and they fro- the IRS has frozen his accounts because he's a heroin dealer. <laughs> At that point, the, the bank manager takes all his credit cards and he's thrown onto the sidewalk. <laughs> like literally thrown <laughs> onto the street. And he's saying, oh, I, is someone deliberately <laughs> trying to ruin my life? Yep. So Jamie Lee Curtis gets in her cab. She's done. Yeah. And he comes over and he's begging. So she feels his hands and she realizes they're soft hands. He's had a manicure. Okay, I'm going to regret this, but get in. Because, of course, the sex worker with the heart of gold. Yeah, which, oh, well, okay, well, well go ahead. Oh, I was going to take a drink. You oh, go ahead. okay. So she takes him back to her place, and it's not a great place, but she's kind of explaining things, and so she... I believe it's roach-free, so... Yeah. So. I was like, is it, though, that... <laughs> like, I, I think you're it's just telling clean me. clean and no bug. Yeah, that's what she said. Yeah. And so day. she, um... She, of course... She has been saving, and she's up. She has forty thousand dollars saved up, which in nineteen eighty three is a nice little chunk of change, right? Yeah, it is because she doesn't have a pimp that she has to give all of her money to. Right. So she doesn't have that. So she says about three more years on her back. She says, and she'll have enough money. What's she doing? What's her her dream or whatever? Well, to get off her back. Oh, so I think she in about three more years she'll do that. And she's a she is a sex worker, yes, and that is her business. She is a businesswoman. And so I just thought it was hilarious that this like Dan Aykroyd, he gets everything taken from him because the whole thing is this scientific study. He gets everything taken from him and how he's gonna end up with a life of crime. But of course, he just happens to meet like somebody like he ends up landing on his feet because he gets a place to go because he meets 
a, the sex worker with the with heart the of heart gold of who also happens to have $40,000 in the bank. And That's why it's called Hollywood, kid. <laughs> yeah. But if the, if the roles were reversed, like, Billy Ray Valentine, when he gets out, of, like, when he got out of jail, there wasn't a sex worker there with a heart of gold and 40 grand in the bank to take him in. <laughs> he didn't have that. So no, there were people putting out cigarettes on a Persian rug. Yeah. So he's, so Ackroyd, he's kind of, like, posted up there, and then what happens to Ray? Uh, well, he's saying, you know, some strange shit was going on with Coleman. And, um, what do they, oh, oh, and then Eddie Murphy now is in a taxi, and they, is this where they actually see each other? Oh, maybe they see each other, because Eddie Murphy's wearing, like, he's, the guy at Coleman's Harvard tie, and they're right. kind of, like, going in opposite directions in traffic. Right. And I think that Duke and Eddie Murphy, the Dukes and Eddie, the double Ds, are on their way to work, I think. Yeah, but Eddie Murphy is saying to Coleman, you know, what do they want from me? I, I mean, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here. And Coleman says, just be yourself. Whatever happens, they can't take you being yourself away from me. Mm -hmm. What? Okay. So the, uh, the double Ds get in and they explain what commodity brokers do. Uh, and they explain that whether the clients make money or lose money, they always make a commission. Yeah, because so they're, they're making money no matter what happens with the clients. Right. The way that they explain it is that they have these clients and their clients are betting on futures. And so they basically take the bets and then they pay out whatever happens and they get a commission. And so Eddie Murphy is like, oh, y'all sound like bookies to me. Yeah. And that's exactly what they are. They're they just are bookies. Indeed. Except for the ones who have an inside track and have, have uh, another story for later. Okay, we're back at, oh, just dropped my phone. Jamie Lee Curtis's apartment. And um, she, and Louie Winthrop is just complaining and complaining and complaining and sad sobbing about his bad life. And she says, just shut up, Louie. Um, I I expect a lot in return for my help. My name's Ophelia, and um, and she says I'll help you get back on your feet, but you have to pay for that. I'm gonna help you, but you gotta pay. And if you want some of this, you gotta pay for that too, because I'm a business girl. Mm -hmm. Okay, now we're back at the double D's. And Eddie Murphy is, um, there's something that is being a commodity, and Eddie Murphy is telling him, let it keep dropping, let it keep dropping. It's Christmas time, everybody's uptight. Um, wait till the pork belly is called a 64, then buy. Mm -hmm. So he's using his street smarts at this point. Well, when the double Ds leave, there is a money clip left on the floor with a whole lot of hundreds. Okay, so the Duddy Double D's, Eddie Murphy runs downstairs and hands back Mortimer's dropped money clip because Mortimer is the one who's betting against Eddie. Mm -hmm. 
And he was sure when he saw that money clip, he'd pocket it. But he runs downstairs and gives it back. So it's like, oh, okay. Well, now we're back at the Heritage Club, and everyone's in their tennis whites. And Danny Aykroyd comes in, and he's dressed in leftover clothes from Jamie Lee Curtis's apartment. So whatever her Johns have left, he is able to dress in. And he's going to his friends. And he's going, you know, I'm completely innocent. Um, I just need to rely on you guys for character witnesses and a, and a little loan. Todd. But Todd. Todd evidently was Penelope's old flame, who has now become her reignited flame. Did you hear what I did there? I did. And um, Todd says, you're going to embarrass us all. And Penelope says, just go away. So Danny Aykroyd has to go to the pawn shop to pawn his, I never got the name of, of the watch because I never even heard it. I'd never heard of it either. I was like, that's exclusive. Well, who's the pawnbroker? Ruh -ruh. Bo Diddley. No. Yes. Okay, well... Like Bo Diddley's going. This it this watch is too hot. I can't I can't even give you any money for it. Obviously, it's stolen because we never get this kind of watch in the pawn shop. So I'll give you fifty dollars for it. Well, he has to take it. Next scene there. There's a restaurant where the double D's are in there with Eddie Murphy <laughs> and some clients. This made me laugh really hard. Because Danny Aykroyd is outside in the rain. <laughs> and, and the way that the table's set up, for some reason, it's like, a, was it a whole table or just a half table with the window? Because they were facing the window. And there Danny was... Aykroyd, he looks like he's in the shrubbery, like standing <laughs> there and it's pouring rain in his super shitty 70s clothing. Yeah. <laughs> just watching them. And Eddie Murphy is just listening to all these bad jokes of these old rich people. And he's going, uh, 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 laugh. And at some point, somebody asks uh, Eddie Murphy uh, a broker's question. And it's like, well, you wouldn't know, people. But there used to be a commercial for E.F. Hutton where when E.F. Hutton speaks everyone listens and everyone would stop in the restaurant freeze frame to listen and that's what they did when eddie murphy was speaking oh yeah uh-huh that was be that was that was before your time yeah i thought that it was because they all wanted to hear what the black guy was gonna say actually he's the new it thing ah yeah and whatever he says is working out because because he's using street smarts, whereas they don't know what street smarts is. Ah, so they're like, oh, what is he going to say? Because he's like the new oracle or something. Yeah. Like, he, if you're with him, you're making money. And then there's a there's a, a, a blonde bombshell type, dumb type with an old, old man. And she starts coming on to Eddie. And he makes some joke about the two of them. And there's a, a pregnant pause, and then everybody laughs. And mm -hmm. so, 
Okay, next scene, Dan Aykroyd is in Jamie Lee Curtis's apartment with a 103 degree temperature from standing out in the cold rain. He's and, like, yeah, yeah um, my life. <laughs> and she tells him he has to stay in bed because he has to, you know, get over this temperature. Um, there's a knock. Here's Johnny. There's a knock. Oh, there's oh, a knock the, on the, the door. John. One of the customers arrive. Yeah, she he goes. It's well, ten o'clock or eleven o'clock. Here's Johnny. I do know that that was like the Johnny Carson show kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So it must have been eleven thirty. But okay. And so um, she goes. You know, I'm sorry, but my mother just came in from out of town. We'll we'll pick up next week, right? Mm-hmm. And so she gets in bed with Dan Aykroyd. Just to give him body warmth, really? Yeah, I would be like, no, he would be shut off. I would quarantine the hell out of that room. Not even sure if I would have let him in my house, honestly. Right, you wouldn't have. <laughs> and he he goes, you've been so kind to me. And she says, I'm just protecting my investment. Right, man, you Hollywood. <laughs> well, the next day his temperature is 99.5. And she says, you're going to stay in bed till you're normal. I'd never be in bed because I was never normal. Was your temperature yeah, I mean, always high? I'm always in bed. Because your temperature is always high or are you always cold? Waiting for my temperature to be normal. Oh. It, I don't remember. Mine's always cold. Mine always ran a little low. Yeah. So when I had a temperature, it would come as normal. But anyway, moving on. That's how mine sick. was too. I would be sick and we'd go to the doctor and they're like, she doesn't have a temperature. And you have to say, no, she's really cool. And I'm yeah, like, I really do have a temperature. I'm usually, yeah. Okay, so Dan Aykroyd is reading the paper and he reads about Eddie Murphy in the paper. Okay, well, the Double Ds are having a staff party. It's Christmas. That's why we did this. It was a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. And Dan Aykroyd is in, uh, I think, the same Santa suit that Bobby. <laughs> Billy Ray or Billy Ray. <laughs> Billy Ray Bobby Thornton. <laughs> Mr. Thornton wore that Santa. <laughs> it's a bad, nasty Santa suit. And he's in there stuffing everything into his pockets. A whole salmon <laughs> is going in his he pocket. He put a whole salmon in his pocket. <laughs> well here is the name clarence see i knew there was a clarence in there clarence beaks yeah the bad guy and eddie murphy sees clarence beaks paycheck and he's going what is this so he goes to the double d's yeah because eddie it's the christmas party but eddie murphy is working he's working um wager the second part oh so um um Ralph Bellamy's going yeah yeah you you know you owe me for the bet and Donald Michi's going wait a minute there's a second part to the bet where we have to get Dan Aykroyd to become a criminal mm-hmm. that's the second part of the bet okay so um Eddie Murphy is questioning oh but Eddie Murphy heard that he overheard that okay Don Amici goes into Eddie Murphy's, no, I'm sorry, <laughs> Dan Aykroyd goes into Eddie Murphy's office, which used to be his office, mm-hmm. 
and he's putting drugs in his drawer. Every drug. Every drug he puts in his drawer. And he calls in the double D's and he's making a citizen's arrest on Eddie Murphy. <laughs> saying he's a he's the pusher, not me. And um, the double D's are calling security. Uh, first off, he pulls out a roast beef from his pocket. Mm -hmm. But then he, he finds the gun. Because he got so a gun at the pawnbroker place. Right. The security comes in. You'll all be very sorry. Sorry. He runs through the party. Everyone's on the floor. So he has become the criminal that Dom Amici thought he mm -hmm. No, that uh, Ralph Bellamy said he would be. Mm -hmm. And uh, Eddie Murphy's going, hey, police take, you know, you can't be soft on people like that. Yeah. <laughs> and Dan Aykroyd is drunk. Well, Eddie Murphy happened to confiscate a joint from the drawer. <laughs> he was like, I will take that, though. And he goes into the restroom, and he pulls up his feet because, you know, he doesn't want to be seen. <laughs> and he starts to light up the joint when the double Ds come in. And um, they're checking. There's no one in the restroom because Eddie Murphy's feet are pulled up. And says, pay up, Mortimer. I won the bet. The bet was how much, Aaron? One dollar. That bet, the whole bet of ruining two people's lives was for one dollar. Mm -hmm. uh, the perfectly useless Valentine has been a successful man. The good upstanding working man has turned into a crazed killer. Um, and then they're saying, you know what? I don't want Winthrop back. Well, we don't want the N-word running our business, do we? Yeah, and you're like, whoo. And Eddie Murphy hears it, and he's like, what? So even if, like, he proved himself, he proved he was worthy to run this company, given all the chances, and it still came down to, well, but he's black, so he can't. we can't have him running the company. Exactly. And they actually use the full N-word. Yes, to reiterate it. Like, I mean, like, hey, these guys are racist. <laughs> but like, we have to hold off switching who's going to run our company until the crop report for the new year comes in. Yes, because they're dealing... Go ahead. Well, they're dealing in the futures of, of uh, frozen orange juice, and so they need to hear from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the USDA, what the crop projection is going to be for this upcoming spring so they know um, what their next move is going to be. Exactly. And who is going to be picking up that crop report in D.C.? Beach Clarence. Clarence Beats. So Clarence, yeah. Because they need to get their hands on it before it comes becomes public so that they know what to do to make the most amount of money. Which is illegal, which is why Martha Stewart... Well, in 1983, it wasn't illegal. Oh, really? Yep. They could know ahead of time? Um, oh. well, yeah, in, the, in this way. Wow. I'm okay. sure it was looked down upon, but it wasn't illegal. 
Well, Eddie Murphy is leaving and he sees Winthrop and he starts running after him because he says, we need to team up, you know, but, but that hasn't happened yet. Okay. So Winthrop goes back to Jamie Lee Curtis's apartment and he's going to try to shoot himself, but there's no bullet in the chamber. So he throws the gun and it, and it actually shoots a bullet. So he dodged a a bullet. Okay, taxi. Jamie Lee Curtis has a Christmas tree, and she is decorating it with lots of tinsel. Lots. As in the Deutsch way. And Eddie Murphy comes in, and she goes, Louis in the bathtub, and he had taken a lot of pills. He was going to kill himself by taking pills because mm-hmm. his life is over. Well, next scene, we're back at the at the at Dan Aykroyd's original house and Coleman is there with the doctor and the doctor has taken care of him he's going to be okay he just needs a little rest and he wakes up and he goes eh, it was just a bad dream I'm Pamela Ewing and it was just <laughs> a bad dream I get that reference that's from Dallas before my time but I get it and he goes, it was all because of that terrible Negro. <laughs> um, wait, I have shotguns. Shotguns. Oh, they're they have shotguns for some. There, he's cleaning his shotgun for some reason. Why do I have guinea pigs written down? I don't know, but they're watching TV, and Dan Aykroyd has his shotguns, and I forget why he has his shotguns, and they're cleaning it, and then that's when on TV. They see. Who do they see? They see. Do they see the Duke brothers on TV? Uh, or do wait, they... they see. They see that the crop estimates are at the Department of Agriculture. Oh yeah. Uh, and that, yeah, they and, see that the crop estimates are coming in. Yeah, and that's when Ackroyd's like, "Oh, that's why he was paying Beecham. He was paying Beecham to go down to D.C. to get the crop." things and bring them back so they would know what to do before corner the market on the on the frozen orange juice yes now do you know what cornering the market means i'm gonna say they are gonna rig it so that they're the ones who can do it whatever needs to be done first basically so cornering the market is having the greatest market share in a particular industry without having a monopoly so that for example, if you do that, then you can set the price higher and not worry about losing too much business. So they wanted to build up all the OJ stock they could for future contracts. And by then by doing that, if you have the majority of it, like you have the majority of the orange juice stocks or futures or whatever it is, you, you just have the majority of it, then you can say, well, I want orange juice to be this amount per pound and if people don't want to pay it then they kind of you own so much of it that you're the supply so they have to go along with it it's not like they can go somewhere else and get a better deal just because they have so much of it so then they in turn can set the price because they control most of the supply and jamie lee curtis says Unless someone beats them to it. Ah. So the scam ensues. 
Well, it's New Year's. Beeks is on the train to rendezvous with the Double D's in D.C. I think. Well, no, he he goes to D.C. to pick up the agriculture report. Right. So he picks that up from he's got his nefarious like people or whatever that give it to him. So he gets it. So it's New Year's. He's on the train. And evidently, people dress up for New Year's in different costumes. I don't. They were on some sort of like part. They were some sort of party from Baltimore. And I think they were wow. down in D.C. Baltimore, that explains. Yeah. And so then they were down in D.C. And it was like some sort of club. So they were doing this. And he was on. He was on the train going back up to New York. So he had already been in D.C. He had got the briefcase. He's going back on the the train. It's probably the Acela. And on there, there's like a car that's having this party. And so, of course, they're, the reason that they're dressed up in costumes is just a plot device. It's it, like the writers were like, well, we have to have them in costume because we have to have a guy in a gorilla suit. Exactly. And the guy in the gorilla suit is? That's James Belushi. Jim Belushi. John Belushi's brother. Yeah. He's in an ape costume. There happens to be a real ape in a cage on the train. Which, that was a, like, huh? Okay. Yeah. And Al Franken, and former d- yeah. senator. And Saturday Night Live alum. Oh. Uh, had a bit part. So Beeks is on the train. Eddie Murphy comes into Beeks's apartment. He's pretending to be an exchange student from Cameroon. Hopefully he didn't have AIDS. <laughs> that and sounds I really just... racist, but that's it. No, just... no, that might come across. Yeah. As <laughs> had, a, had a dream that I took up with a Cameroonian who happened to have been infected with AIDS. Yes. I had the dream. It was during the 2010 World Cup. I had a dream that Ma left our family because she went and shacked up with a guy from Cameroon who also <laughs> had AIDS. It was a very weird dream. And we all laughed about it. And so that's where that comment Anytime came from. we hear Cameroon, we all laugh. Because mom <laughs> left the family for someone from Cameroon. With AIDS. It, uh, it's hilarious. People in the family. Yeah. <laughs> it's the family uh, Okay, so I just put foolishness because he just, you know, he's over the top. Then Coleman comes in as an Irish priest. <laughs> well, I have a connection to everybody who came in this train car. <laughs> you do. Cameron up. Uh, Irish priest. I happen to have been lucky enough to attend an Irish wedding in Ireland. They know how to do it. Inga comes in as a Swedish girl, but she's wearing lederhosen because Jamie Lee Curtis couldn't get down the Austrian-German accent, so she had to go with the Swedish accent, (laughs) even though she's dressed in German-Austrian apparel. But I thought that that was just her being like... Like, they're not professional con artists. So I thought that that was just her being bad at... It actually worked out better for the plot than than the original idea. Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, so the idea is to switch briefcases. So, of course, Inga from Sweden 
uh, gets the attention with her big boobolas, um, and then uh, Dan Aykroyd is able to no no Eddie Murphy's able to switch the because Dan Aykroyd comes later. <laughs> are we are we destined to do every so film where there is some blackface involved? I laughed so hard when he came in because of just the background. I was like. Are you kidding me? I know. I dropped my head. <laughs> I swear, we are destined to do every movie where someone has blackface. But in because- the, but in this instance, look, Dan Rackroy comes in. He's he's supposed to be Jamaican, so he's it. Like he is in blackface and stuff with the dreads and and he's doing the hey man. And it is it is in blackface, but and it's it's wrong and it was wrong then. But it's it's. It's a comedy, and it is about how, like, racist. There's a lot of uh, racial and society, um, what's it called? Like, it's it's putting up a mirror to society and sort of showing the inerrant racism and, and, like, classism that is within American society and stuff. And this guy, like, this guy, what's-his-face, he comes in. Of course they said... Like, all right, you know, we have to be in disguises. And so, you know, Eddie Murphy is a a grad student. What's his face is a priest. Yeah, she gets it wrong because she's Swedish wearing the lederhosen. She's like, yeah. And, of course, Winthrop would come in like, I'm going to be Jamaican and go blackface. Because that's how clueless and, like, you know, racist, racially biased that he is. As a yeah. character, that he's just oblivious. Because the look that Eddie Murphy gives him is like, yeah. he just gives him this look, and you can see him go, his character's mind go, all right, I got two choices. I can beat this dude's ass because he walked up in here blackface, but then our whole like scheme is going to go out right out the door. Or I can let this slide for the betterment of myself and the scheme. And it's, that's just like, of course, he has to make that calculation. Yeah. And he's just like, ah, oh, like this motherfucker that comes up in here. Of all the costumes he could pick, yeah. he comes up as this. And you're just yeah. like, this guy. I mean, he could have been a hippie. He could have been anything. Anything. But, and then you, if you were to ask his character, like, yo, why Winthrop? What the hell were you thinking? He would have been like, "What? What's wrong with it? I yeah. love Jamaicans. They're so cool, man, with the ganja and the accent. I just want me a little piece of that." And that's why you still have people who are like, "What's wrong with it?" Okay. Well, before that, the briefcase had been taken to Dan Aykroyd in the restroom, so he had looked over all the papers. Now they had to switch the briefcases back. But while they're switching them back, Beeks actually sees the double switch. Mm-hmm. And so he pulls a gun. And somebody takes off a wig. And he holds Jamie Lee Curtis as a hostage. Yes. So he has the gun on her. And they're walking through the bar car, which is the party car. Oh, they take off Aykroyd's dread wig. So now he's just in the uncomfortable, like, black state. Like, black yeah. face. He's just like, uh, tough Unfortunately, look. as he's walking through the bar car, nobody throws him down and beats him up for having black face. 
Okay. No, well, but he just gets a lot of side eye. I don't even think that there's anybody in the bar cart who would beat him up besides yeah, Eddie Murphy. Well, Jim Belushi has an, has an interlude with Jamie Lee Curtis, and he realizes something's wrong. He's a little worried about her. Yeah, because he, he wants to hit. He's just trying to hit on her. She's wearing yeah. that lederhosen outfit, and he's just trying to like, hey, 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 girl, hey. And then, you know, there's this old guy behind her, and he's kind of like, what's this old? Like, I can take this old dude. What's this dude? Is that your dad or something? And she has worried eyes. Yeah. We'll okay. say, we'll go with that rather than it was just Jim Belushi um, <laughs> just being kind of creepy, obsessive over Jamie Lee Curtis. Okay. I was going with that he was a little worried about her. Not I... just, it wasn't just lust. Okay. Okay, well, Beeks takes him into the luggage cart where there is the cage with the real ape. And the ape actually, because Jim Belushi comes in, and so the, the real ape sees Jim Belushi ape and sees that Beeks is going to, you know, try to hurt the, the, uh, the fake ape. And so the real ape knocks Beeks out. Yes, very convenient. Yes, it was very convenient. And so they end up putting Beaks in the fake ape costume and putting him in with... Now, how they were able to get the cage unlocked and put Beaks in there... I don't Everything know. Just the fact that you would... I mean, that is... That's a wild animal. And that's a wild animal, but... Like it can use all of its arms and legs in very human ways, and it has so much more strength than us. Like, I would want no part of that. It can just reach through there, grab you, and it's super strong. And I'm I'm sorry, an ape can tell the difference between a real ape and a fake ape, but evidently for the purposes of this comedy the fake ape was a female fake ape and the real ape fell in love you know let your minds walk yeah so uh... okay so now we're in the parking garage where the double d's are waiting for beaks to come and give them the news of the orange juice futures well fake beak beaks eddie murphy um Toss, they have to toss over the money to fake Beaks, and he tosses them the fake information about the orange juice futures. Mm-hmm. They're in the train station. Coleman gives uh, Dan Aykroyd his life savings. Ophelia, Jamie Lee Curtis, gives her 42000 that she has saved to invest, and they kiss. So they are now trusting this guy with their life savings. Yes. That's very scary. Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd get on the train to New York City. Mm-hmm. The Double Ds arrive in New York City. Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd arrive in New York City. The mm-hmm. Double Ds buy as much orange juice. Dude, but hold on. Remember where they go? They go to the World Trade Center. Yeah, and it's shot. And it's shot there, and you're like, yeah, that's what it looked like. Yeah, those two huge buildings. 
it was 83. So that does, I mean, that you have, you have to pause a moment. Yeah, you can't you just watch that and move on. Well, when you see the towers and then when you see like that they were actually shot there because of when you're like on the street level, how they would have like the, the metal that would go up and then it would like fork out and continue going up. I was like, oh yeah, that's like exactly like that's it. They shot it there. Yeah. And then you're like, that's crazy. Okay. Well, we'll take a moment. Okay, so D, the double Ds say buy as much stock as possible. The bell rings and the trading starts, and this is where it just becomes chaos to me. All right, I, I had, I was on, I was reading the plot summary on Wikipedia. I was clicking on like all of the different links and stuff about the futures and what all that means. So. There's a bunch of stuff. I found an article on NPR. So really it was a radio bit, but they transcribed it. And it was from All Things Considered with Robert Smith. And the article is about him explaining what the hell happens at the end of this movie. So here we go. Because it just looks like chaos to yeah. somebody like me. So number one. The, so they have the bad, they gave D&D the bad info. The bad info is that um, the crop, okay, so bad crop, which is the bad info. They gave the v, D, double Ds think that it's going to be a bad crop year. And if it's a bad crop year, that means that the price of oranges will rise because there's going to be less supply to meet the demand. So supply that, and demand. I get supply right. and demand. So that means that the price of oranges is going to go up. So, um, but the real info is that it's a strong crop. And so when the world finds out that the price of, of the OJs, that that's going to fall. So... Because they gave them the bad info, they think that the price is going to rise. So that means that the that um, Ackroyd and Murphy, they need to inflate the price and make it go up. Because the Dukes, the Double Ds, they told their trader to buy the futures. They said, buy, buy, buy. No matter how high the price goes up, you just keep on buying. You keep on buying and you keep on buying. So they so then they they everybody on the traders all the traders see like oh man what are the dukes up to they're they're like going all in on the OJ they they're like super buying they're buying everything up they must know something and they're like oh they they got their hands on the crop report they know what the crop report is so then everybody else wants to go in with them cuz they're like they're going to corner the market we want to, they know something. We got to start buying. So then when everyone else starts buying, the price soars up. So then you have to sell to the suckers. So, um, what's his face? They're, they're there and they're waiting and they're waiting. And then Ackroyd's character, he yells out, sell 30 April at 142. So that means he promises to sell orange juice 
in April for $1.42 per pound. So the 30 is the selling at 30 contracts. And the 30 could be anything, but he's just going to start selling 30 contracts at April in 1942 because this is all futures. So he promises in April that he's going to be selling at 142. And so when he says that, because the price has gone up, everybody knows that, oh, in April, it's going to be way more than 142 to buy oranges. So, yeah, I want to buy it at 142. I want in on that. I want in on that because the price is just going to keep going up. So that's when they're like you see um, Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd and they're just like writing off because they're they're selling these promises like they promise that in April they're going to sell at 142. So everyone thinks that it's a fair price and it's a great deal. So they mob them. So then four, the other shoe has to drop. So then that then everyone stops because the USDA report comes out and they read the report and they're like, it's going to be a normal crop year. The crops are fine. And so then when everybody realizes that the crops are fine, there's like, well, there isn't going to be like a, a rush on it. Like, what the hell? So that's it's like it's buy low, get rich, bankrupt your enemies. So all these traders who bought all of this stock because all the futures because they thought that it was a great deal they now know that the price is gonna like nosedive so they need to get out fast before they lose they need to minimize how much money that they're gonna lose and because everybody needs to sell and you see you see double d telling their trader like you have to sell sell well they're not gonna their trader gets you know out and they're not they don't want to um, buy back any of D and D stock because they're in it to make him go down. So everybody's selling. So then it drives the price. So the price plummets. And then once the price hits 29 cents, then buy low. Yeah. So then basically then, then the, um, the two guys, Valentine and Winthrop, they agree to start buying so they're like all right we're gonna buy oranges in april starting at 29 cents and so everybody needs to start selling their stock so they start selling it at 29 cents so they are buying what happened is is that they are buying millions of pounds of orange juice in april for 29 cents per pound and then they're selling it for a dollar 42 per pound and so they've made a mint off of that. And they were able to buy back from everybody except from D&D who bought up all those shares. So D&D has ended up losing all of that money. Because they bought the shares when, the, when it was really expensive. Right. So our guys, Valentine and Winthrop, they're rich. And now the Dukes are broke. And because at closing time, when the, the market closes, it's it's a margin call because it fluctuated so much that you, that's when you see the guy, I think he has a mustache. He calls to him and he says, Hey guys, you know, the rules at the end of the bell, like you need to put up the money. Like you need to show that you have it to support this loss so that we can, um, you know, because if they're like, Oh, we don't have it and stuff, then that's when, that's when, um, 
what's it called? Like crashes start happening because everybody freaks out and realizes that, oh my God, we're all playing with money that we don't have. And so they're like, you know, you want to play the game? Like you got to cover your bets. You lost all this money. We need to see it. And they're like, we don't have 300 and whatever million dollars. And so they're like 95 million. What? 395 million. Yeah. They're, that's how much they owe. So they're like, all right, well, we're taking, you were taking your company from you. We're taking like everything from you because you need to like cover this debt. So they are like bankrupt. They're broke. They're destitute. And Winthrop and Valentine and Coleman and Ophelia and this other girl that Valentine met are all on some Caribbean island and just loving and living life. And they have to take uh, Randolph out on a stretcher. He had a, we assume, a heart attack. Oh, yeah, because they're at the, the final, like that, before they end up on the island, like that scene, it, they see, like, who did this to us? And it was, they see that it was Valentine and Winthrop, and they teamed up, and they go, oh, well, you see, we had a bet for a dollar, and I forget, it was basically, like, to see if they could make you broke and them rich. Exactly. And so... They gave it for a dollar and oh, my man like held his heart. And then, um, what's his name? Don Amici. He's his brother's like falling out from this heart attack. And it was something about like, he wasn't concerned about his brother having a heart attack. He was like, his, he wanted to know about his money and that's all he was concerned about. So, and of course we saw the cage with the gorillas and they were in love. Yeah. I'm a, oh. They, there was like a, yeah, he got raped by a gorilla. Yeah. And they, and they took him to Africa. I was like, oh man. Yeah. That's tough. And then the ending, there are outtakes. A couple, I would have loved to have seen more. Yeah. I love outtakes. You know, if you ever see a, um, a guy, guy picks film, there will be outtakes. Yeah, there's usually a lot of outtakes. And that is trading places. Mm -hmm. It is interesting that this movie only has an 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. I thought that was interesting, considering Holiday Inn has a 100%. I know. I was like, oh. And Hmm. I always thought Rotten Tomatoes was kind of a, I mean, they hardcore, but they gave Holiday Inn 100%. Like rot- Rotten Tomatoes is just an aggregate and you can actually um if you go on there like it's not it's like the stock market in a way you can there are ways to make you fluctuate it and oh. manipulate the numbers and stuff so it's not a like Metacritic is really the the one that oh, if you're into that kind of thing like I like it's just it's all subjective but if you kind of want to say like, oh, well, what are the critics saying? Then you would go to Metacritic because it takes all of the critical responses from reputable critics, supposedly. I don't know what the cutoff is in this new media that we have. But, you know, it'll have your Ann Horder days, your A.O. Scott's, your... Uh, is that M-E-T-A or M-E-D-I? M-E-T-A, like meta. Meta. Metacritic. And so it like aggregates all of the critical responses. See, where else are you going to get this information, listener? Mm -hmm. So Ebert 
Roger Ebert compared it to the films of Frank Capra and Preston Sturges, which I'm like, yeah. I thought it, I thought it was, uh, except for the blackface, I thought it was, I really liked it. Yeah. I didn't even, like, yeah, I know now they wouldn't have the blackface and stuff, but I kind of thought the, the blackface did kind of make a point. It wasn't done... Like, it wasn't done as a malicious kind of thing. It was sort of done as a social commentary. Yeah, it but was, it was, all, still this was all social commentary. Yeah, because the whole thing is social commentary. So it was yeah. still a really jarring. And they wouldn't do it now. But it does make a point. It's like, I don't know. They might do it now. It's like that the Spike Lee, that film Bamboozled, that was all about blackface. Mm. Remember that? I don't think I ever saw Bamboozled. Yeah, you did. You saw it in the theater with, like, the whole family went. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I just need to update the brain on that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, downloading, the file not found. Downloading. Downloading. <laughs> now, on the, the, the traitor scene at the end, those were real traitors, mm -hmm. except for the cast members. Yep. That's what really goes on. See, I just don't have, there are left-brained and right-brained people, and I just don't have that. I. Well, the commodities, I don't think that happens anymore for future commodities. That's all computerized now. Oh. Like you go on your Charles Schwab's or whatever things. <laughs> That was crazy. Yeah. I mean, you can still do yeah. it, like betting, like the day traders and stuff and doing that, like buying something and all that. But it's all computerized now. Ah. Well, originally, this movie was written for Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder. Mm-hmm. For some reason, Richard Pryor dropped out and then... For some reason, he got into his accident where he got all burned. Oh, because he was, was that dipping PCP? Oreos in milk. Oh, what? That's what happened. When he was dipping Oreos in milk, they ex it exploded. How is dipping Oreos in milk explode? That's what he said happened. <laughs> I thought it was because, like, he was doing was. drugs. And it was, but he chose to spin it with dipping Oreos in milk. Well, that's Richard Pryor. That's why he's a comedy genius. Yeah, exactly. Because that is funny. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, he couldn't do it because he, he was recuperating. And so, Eddie Murphy didn't want to step in his shoes and become, like, a substitute Richard Pryor. Mm -hmm. And so, I guess then Gene Wilder stepped out and Dan Aykroyd stepped in. Yeah. He kind of... In a new, um, a new comedy pairing. Mm-hmm. Which... I mean, I really like Gene Wilder, so I wouldn't have been mad to see Gene Wilder in it, but it made sense for Eddie Murphy in his career to yeah. be like, if you're in this movie with me, everybody's just going to think I'm trying to be like Richard exactly. Pryor, and I, I got to be something different. Right. And Gene Wilder, what would he have done with his hair <sighs> to make him Snopsville? I don't oh, know, but I would down. I would have loved it because I'm a big fan of Gene Wilder. Oh, my God. Yeah, like every little mannerism that he chooses, I would have just loved to see that. Yeah, yeah. But well, that's my trivia, oh. and you schooled us on commodities trading. Thank and you. I, very much. I have a few more. I'm sure you do. 
Um, let's see. So Elmer Bernstein got nominated for an Oscar for the score. Excellent. Um, Elmer different from Leonard. Leonard Bernstein. Yeah. Yeah. Leonard Bernstein did like West Side Story and like so. Psycho and stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Amici when that scene when Eddie Murphy returns the money clip and it's mm -hmm. tossed to him and he has trouble catching it. He really did have trouble catching it, but they just went with it. And so they kept it in the movie, which I thought was great because when I watched it and he was having trouble catching the money clip, I did laugh because I was like, ah, this guy couldn't catch. Exactly. <laughs> um, let me see. Okay. So here's in March, March 3rd, 2010, the quote Eddie Murphy rule came into effect. Yeah. What is it? Section 136 of, I have to clear my throat and swallow all excess spit to read this title. Wall Street Transparency and Accountability Act of the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act under Section 746, which dealt with insider trading. So it made it illegal to trade using access that is not public information ah that was the insider trading that's what mm -hmm. i think oh. martha stewart um went to jail because for lying i think she lied about insider trading and that's what ultimately yeah. did so her she in. could go to jail for that yeah you can like you can get some sizable jail time for lying it's called perjury like you, like regular people get in trouble for lying, but not the rich people that trickled up. Right. So yeah, and they they I mean, it's called the Eddie Murphy Rule because they specifically reference the end of trading places. I love it. They're like, yeah, that shouldn't happen. Right. Right. And if you'll but notice, who gave access to that? Only the people with money to pay the people to get it. Right. And if you'll notice the date, two thousand ten. This was after the financial collapse that happened in 2008. So that whole movie, the big short, all of that is about this kind of thing. Finance, the manipulating of the markets and the short selling and the bundling of all of the, the debts and stuff. Yeah. Built upon a house of cards. So there you have it. Speaking of which, I saw the last season. Okay, so that was Trading Places. I don't I, think we... Oh, and in Italy, it's it's um, it's um considered a Christmas classic. Like, they play it on Christmas in Italy, like, every year. Really? For a while now, yeah. Italy, like, Italy, people... Christmas movies, they're like Trading Places. Excellent. Mm -hmm. I love it. I do, too. I thought it was a great... Uh, segue from what we've been used to so that's great now listeners next week uh aaron will be in on the east coast new york city Yay! and so she is planning on traveling with equipment so that we can act. we have been challenged to do a uh, a hallmark movie 
Um, and so we're going to work on doing that. And we'd also like to do at some point, because our listener Megan has requested this for two years straight, that we do... Um, <laughs> Oh, God, I forgot the name of that. <laughs> well, can you give me a hint? Oh, I'm it's Jimmy Stewart, me. Donna Reed. It's a Wonderful Life. A Wonderful Life, why I'm thinking Clarence. There's another Clarence. Yes. Every uh, time yeah. a bell rings, an angel you gets re- Yeah, and uh, Zuzu's pedals. Uh, so, um, I'm going to lasso you the rope or the moon. Oh, yes. I'd love you to the moon and back. And they have the awesome pool. I thought that was yeah. the neatest thing, how they're, the pool was yeah. under the gym yeah. floor. I was like, what? I know. It opens up. So, um, yes. And so at some point this season, we hope to do <laughs> It's a Wonderful Life, my favorite year, and a Hallmark movie for those of you who can't wait to hear our social commentary on that so is the hallmark movie a hallmark movie to be determined to be determined i've been told of several that i should have dvr'd but i don't have a dvr yeah we don't have a dvr we're the poor people in trading places we are remember we have a high poc count in our family So, I think that the the POCs in our family are is where the money comes from, as well as the brains, as can be attested to by this particular podcast. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we will be back with you with um whatever we choose to do <laughs> whenever we choose to do it because that's how we roll. Yes, and. We hope that you enjoy it, Wendy. (laughs) (laughs) We appreciate you, Wendy. And Donna's when she travels to see her mother. Oh, I mean, it's holiday, so maybe we'll get a little bit of a spike. We might get a touch of a spike. You know, when your relatives are sitting around telling the same story that you've heard 15 times, might want to put those earphones in and listen to us. Might give you a little chuckle. (laughs) And we wish all of you a wonderful holiday season, whatever holiday you're choosing to celebrate. Pretty sure most of us are Merry Christmas scene or or Happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. Maybe you're doing the Kwanzaa. Maybe you're doing the Festivus for the rest of us. Festivus for the rest. Don't we all do Festivus for the rest of us? Some version of it. Some version. All right. We hope you made it to your destination. (laughs) We do indeed. And we will be back when we are back. (laughs) Love you, Wendy. Bye. -bye. (laughs) (laughs) That was rough.